Myself Chakras, episode 140. You become the company you keep. So keep great company. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, founder and host of My 7 Chakras, your hub for inspiration, your oasis for ancient wisdom, and your on-demand radio station for a human revolution. Action Tribe, this is the show where you get to listen to inspiring stories, ideas, and concepts, along with actionable steps that you can take today to transform yourself. We have a really, really inspiring episode waiting for you today. But before that, I have just one question for you. I'm curious, when do you listen to our show the most? Do you listen to our show in the car, on your way to work, after you come back from work, at home, in the gym, or while you're doing yoga? I want to know, when do you listen to our show the most? As always, so I can find you, use the hashtag My7Chakras and share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram because I love hearing from you. And with that, we are now ready to welcome our featured guest for today, Amy Ippoliti. So Amy, are you ready to inspire? I absolutely am. Awesome. So Amy Ippoliti is the co-author of The Art and Business of Teaching Yoga. She is a world traveler dedicated to bridging the gap between the ancient wisdom of yoga and modern day life. She graduated with a BA in studio art from Oberlin College and spent the first half of her 20s teaching fitness and self-defense and empowerment trainings for women, men and teens. She is a pioneer for advanced yoga education as her offbeat sense of humor gently guides students into achieving individual breakthroughs both on and off the mat. She co-founded 90 Monkeys, an online professional development school that has enhanced the skills of yoga teachers and studios in 44 countries around the globe. She is a regular presenter at the Yoga Journal Conferences, Omega Institute Conference, Wanderlust Festival and the Hanuman Festival as well. She is best known for her combination of clear instruction and energetic personality. So Amy, that was a short intro about you. It's great to have you on our show. Take a minute and tell us a bit more about your story and fill in any blanks that I might have missed. Well, thank you so much for having me, AJ. Um, I have always felt a desire to teach and help others. I think from a very, very young age, it all started in summer camp as a girl. And I found myself really able to teach. Specifically, it seems random, but canoeing of all things. And by noticing that I was enjoying teaching others how to canoe and how to handle the boats and that sort of thing, I got the sense that teaching could really be for me. And I entered into yoga when I was 16 years old, around that same exact time. But it wasn't really until my late 20s that I decided to get the courage to become a yoga teacher. And I asked my teacher if I could apply to her teacher training. It was very nerve wracking. I'd been practicing 11 years, Mm -hmm. but uh, didn't think that I was old enough to actually teach yoga. And it's so ironic because now we have 18 year olds taking yoga teacher trainings. But back then it just didn't seem like I was worthy or 
could uh, be old enough to do something like that. And she was so enthusiastic and believed in me. And that belief in me really helped drive me to, you could say, uh, establish a career in yoga. And that's when it all started. I think that's amazing because you mentioned that it all started in summer camp. You noticed deep down that you were able to teach canoeing and that ability sort of translated into yoga when you actually, you know, started practicing, but then you asked your yoga teacher, could I enroll in this program because I want to teach other people as well in addition to just practicing myself. So I can't wait to learn more about your story. But before we actually begin today's episode, we're going to take some time to get inspired with the help of some carefully crafted words. And I believe that you have a quote in store for us today. So let me ask you, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And also tell us how you apply this quote in your life. Well, my teacher, and it could be my teacher's teacher, used to say, you become the company you keep. So keep great company. And that is a quote that I live by. And it literally means that you become the people that you hang out with the most and they rub off on you and you, you're either positive or you're negative depending on what kind of constitution the people that you hang out with have. And so what I try to do is every now and then make a list of the people who are inspiring me, who are uplifting me, encouraging me, helping me believe in my goals and dreams. And I'll put a plus next to the, those who are doing that in my circle of influence and who I'm spending the most time with. And then I'll also, in that list of who I'm spending the most time with, put a negative next to anyone who's actually bringing me down or making me feel bad about myself or sabotaging my dreams or say, you know, just generally complaining or, you know, negative. And I'll put a minus next to their name. And then I'll literally find a way to spend more time with those who have the plus next to their name for the ones that are encouraging me. And then I'll try to find ways to limit my time with those that have a negative sign. And that can sometimes be family. So that's really, mm -hmm. that's really challenging. Sometimes we have to spend time, you know, but we can reduce up how much we spend the time and we can also do things that make it more positive. So sometimes I'll listen to recordings like this one or podcasts or that kind of thing while I'm spending time with those who are maybe on the more negative side, but I feel an obligation to spend a little bit of time with them because it's family or whatever. Um, so I do things again to keep great company. And that can even be, you know, the kinds of t-shirts you wear, what sort of slogans on the t-shirt, what kind of slogans on your mug, what kind of movies are you watching? It's not only people, but it's, it's how your environment is shaped. What can really, uh, you know, you want that to be great because that's what's going to influence you the most. So I try to do that. <laughs> Wonderful. I think that's such an amazing quote. You said you become the company you keep. So keep great company. Action Tribe, you are the average of the people you hang out with. So as we're learning today, if you want to become healthy, join a class, course or mentorship where people are in the peak of their health. That will automatically force you to take action to get where they are. The average of the five people you're hanging out with. Listen to podcasts on iTunes and Google Play, which you're doing right now because all of it is free. Similarly, hang out less with people who are bringing you down because for everyone you're saying yes to, there are so many people you're saying no to as well. But remember, keep great company. So thanks a lot for sharing, Amy. And with that, my first question to you is what inspired you to write your book, The Art and Business of Teaching Yoga? I started teaching teachers 
about two or three years after becoming a yoga teacher because I was asked to to train teachers. And what I found is that back in the 90s in New York City, when uh, I started, it was very difficult for me to even get a position teaching yoga. There were really just not a lot of people doing the practice at that time. And so therefore, there wasn't really much need or demand for teachers. And then sometime in the mid 90s, America got the message that Madonna and Willem Dafoe and Sting, you know, were doing yoga and yoga hit just it hit hard. And everybody started doing it. And I went from barely being able to sub classes to suddenly having to say no to people offering me jobs and positions in teaching. And I feel like I was at the right place at the right time in that sense of when yoga really hit America. And I rode that wave and built a reputation for myself so that I was in de- very much in demand. But then I was finding that my training, my graduates, from teacher trainings that I was doing were having a really difficult time getting a job. So it went from the complete opposite in only a few short years where yoga teachers suddenly, there were so many teachers that none of them could get jobs or they could, but very slim. And it it kind of broke my heart because I felt like I had mothered these <laughs> these students. And it was sort of like when your child can't get a job or your child can't succeed, it, it's very challenging. And so I vowed in that moment to figure out how we could help yoga teachers to prosper and do well and have students to teach. Um, somehow, I had to figure out a way, given the current climate that had changed so rapidly, how I could help them stand out in the crowd, how I could help them uh, thrive in their career. And so I started a little research project of analyzing how is it that one teacher may have a class full of students who return again and again and who are dedicated to the practice and another is losing students each week Mm -hmm. and things like that. And then what do we need to do to make sure that our finances are healthy and that our self-care is being, you know, maintained well, and we're not on burnout when we're teaching yoga, because obviously, if you're going to help others, you need to be strong and healthy and vibrant in yourself. And so burnt out yoga teachers, that's not going to work either. And look at also, are yoga teachers happy? Are they the most stressed out person in the room? That's not good. Are they able to do their practice? Are they able to stay fit and healthy and all those things? So started to really do a research project on that. And, and the idea for the book was, was born at that time when I was seeing my trainees not doing well. And when I finally felt ready to share what I had learned, I had studied marketing, I had studied finance, I had studied business, I had studied these things as much as I had studied philosophy and the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras mm-hmm. and um, you know the Shiva Sutras and everything else, I put that much time into. And when I felt ready, I shared it in the form of an online course that we still offer called 90 Minutes to Change the World. Of course, 90 minutes was the, the typical length of a yoga class at the time. It's mm-hmm. since been shortened, I might add, to 60 minutes, most across the board, because people have so little time now. Sure. However, we called it 90 Minutes to Change the World. And I, at that time, I had met my co-author, Taro Smith, who helped me a lot to see how we could guide yoga teachers toward having a better career. He's, he's an entrepreneur and um, also a yoga teacher. And we collaborated on this course. And that course, long story short, became the book. 
Wonderful. So thanks a lot for that explanation. You mentioned that you had practiced for such a long time as a yoga practitioner, as a teacher as well. But initially, it was hard to get a job or a position as a yoga teacher because of the low demand. And as soon as things change, when the influencers and the celebrities began practicing, that's when the demand suddenly began to increase. Everyone wanted to hire you, to employ you, to invite you to teach at their place as well. And then the truth sunk in because there's only one of you and you had to prioritize your time. But then you notice one other thing that other teachers in general were having a challenge to really stand out in the crowd. And you asked yourself, why? Which took you on a quest. Now, they say that change is the only constant. I'm sure you agree that with the advent of the internet, the growth of social media and technology, the yoga industry is changing rapidly. Mm. And you spoke about the phrase 90 minutes to change the world, which I think is really profound. What is the role of a yoga teacher in today's day and age? I think today, you know, it has, as you said, it has changed dramatically. And I would say in an ideal world, the role of a yoga teacher today is to help students who are practicing yoga to slow down and to take those moments of presence and perhaps unplug long enough from technology and the addiction to smartphones and screen time and internet and all those things and have that moment of solitary thought deep contemplative thought where yoga can once again be this practice that not only, of course, challenges us physically, but also Mm -hmm. allows us to inquire within and to know ourselves more deeply. And I think that that's if there's one change in the yoga world, it's, it's that it's become a lot more activity based and fitness based and acrobatic based and sort of pose goal oriented, and less about that journey into the cell. And I might even add that the 60 minute class has, you know, ha- because it's gone from 90 minutes down to 60 minutes, there isn't enough time to warm up. And if you do really want to go after poses, you almost can't because there's no way to warm up fast enough, you know, to get all those poses in or to or to go deep into the poses that you are practicing. So to me, the yoga teachers of today are hopefully trying to bring back that slow, almost like the slow food movement, you know, (laughs) like, can we get the slow yoga movement back? Um, But in general, you know, it's really to, when, when I first started teaching yoga, and I think this is still the same, I was so blown away that my job description was to go in and make people feel better, Mm -hmm. not only physically, but about themselves and to live a life that is meaningful in the short time that we have in these bodies. So that's our role, kind of a long wandering answer, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So I love your definition. You mentioned that yoga allows us to inquire within, take that quest deep inside ourselves because yoga is not just about poses, but it's a way of life. So I love that you brought that element into our discussion. Uh, Moving on, what are some of the biggest challenges that people face early on when trying to establish their yoga teaching career? Well, I think nowadays, the, the most challenging part is to get positions that are paying them enough that they can literally feel safe enough to either work full time, especially if they if that is their goal is to work full time mm-hmm. and not have to be part time with a job or even full time with a job and then fitting in their yoga classes. And so I think that lar- that large challenge is going like, how can I actually do this full time? I have a student right now, actually, who recently was laid off from a very highly paid position. And he's a yoga teacher. And he's thinking, do I need to now get a job, you know, a regular job? Or can I really 
go for this? Can I try this? And he was very well paid. And so now he's looking at a big pay cut in becoming a yoga teacher, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the financial strain of it is hard. I mean, you have to be able to pay your bills. You have to be able to save for your kid's college education. You have to be able to support the you know, the, the kinds of products and foods that you feel are important to you or, val- or, or in alignment with your values. So if organic food is in alignment with your values, that's going to cost more. And so it's, you've got to be able to, to be able to make a living. And I think that's one of the largest challenges for new teachers, despite, you know, on, then there's also like teaching itself is challenging, you know, thinking of what to say and articulating the instructions that sort of goes without saying, but the biggest challenge for new teachers is getting themselves established mm. to really make a go of it financially. Wonderful. So you mentioned that the first challenge is to not just get a job, but ask this question whether this job will pay me enough so that I can work full time if I want to do it, especially when transitioning from a well-paying job that wasn't in line with my vision or my purpose. So that's definitely a big challenge. And then you spoke about the obvious, which is once you get the job, how do you conduct that class? What do you say? What do you not say? And that I'm sure can be challenging as well. Now, according to a 2016 report by the Yoga Journal and the Yoga Alliance, 36.7 million people practice yoga in the US this year as on today. And that's a big jump from 20.4 million in 2012. So it's clear that there's a huge demand for yoga. And as a result, as you suggested, thousands of people want to become yoga instructors to meet that demand. In the midst of all this, what advice do you have for a yoga teacher listening to this episode right now who hopes to stand out from the crowd? Yeah, it's a great question. I think a lot of it is that the majority of yoga teachers now are teaching more fitness-based classes that are, again, Mm -hmm more flow and breath and that kind of thing and have less individualized attention. So there's more of sort of calling out the instruction and playing some music and maybe saying a few inspiring words. And that's the extent of what the teachers are doing. Now, I'm obviously generalizing to make a point. Mm -hmm. However, if you want to stand out, being able to give precise individualized attention to students that have limitations or, and I'm not going to say to the students that have them, everybody has some kind of limitation. Everyone has maybe one little tweak in their body or an ache or a discomfort, or they are working with stiffness. It I think the media portrays yoga as being so flexible and bendy and, you know, lots of young people, you know, with very little clothing on doing all these intensely crazy positions with their body. But the majority of people doing yoga out there are just even hoping to be able to get into their car and back out of their driveway without getting a crick in their neck. And so your ability to work therapeutically with your yoga students and individually is going to set you apart. So rather than just going through the motions of barking out instructions and having an awesome playlist and, you know, these sorts of things, if you have that little edge of of understanding alignment, understanding how the body works, understanding how you might be able to help people with the most common difficulties in certain poses, it's going to help you a lot. And what is that going to take? It's going to take extra education, more than just your 200-hour 
training. For example, I lead a therapy training each year uh, in September and we go over these therapeutic approaches to yoga. So that's one way. I would say another way is that if you take your profession seriously, you take your yoga not as a hobby, but as a profession, that's also going to help you stand out because it's going to make everything you do around your yoga and your yoga career more intense and passionate and filled with passion is really the best word I can come up with. That will help you stand out as well. And then the other thing is having a rapport with your students. So building some relationships with students. Mm. So not just, you know, having them come in and you barely know their name, but know their name, know what they do for a living, ask them about their life, be interested in who they are, strike up a conversation because, and also introduce your students to each other so that you're building community because community is Mm. the number one reason people come back to all physical activities is they want to come to connect with community. So introduce people to each other and possibly even go out with your students, you know, take everybody out on a field trip or have a potluck at the studio, do something social with everybody. So those are just three quick ideas. There's so many more. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. As you spoke about that, a lot of yoga teachers teach the instruction-based practices. That is instruction to everyone as a group. Individual attention makes all the difference. And I completely agree. When I'm at a yoga class, especially when I'm not able to do a pose or an asana properly, if a teacher comes to me and helps me out, that one or two minutes makes such a difference to my experience, the way I'm able to do a pose. And also to those who are looking at just what just happened, and that really changes the energy of the the whole session altogether. And, uh, you know, you spoke about the individual attention. I think that's really, really uh, makes a difference. And also the personality of that individual yoga teacher that comes through in terms of how they connect, how they build rapport and how they create community. Because right now, as you suggested, that yoga instruction is available online as well. But people still come to studios because they want to be part of something that's larger than themselves. They want to be a part of a community. Now, one aspect of becoming a yoga teacher is teaching what you do during the session. And then there is the marketing aspect as well, which is really important. And I know that you speak about the four P's of marketing in your book, which sort of forms the foundation for the business. So for someone who's completely new to marketing, what are the four P's? Um, So let me just um, answer that. So positioning is the first P and this is really how you're going to place your offering. So it means, you know, are you offering your yoga at a time or, you know, you have to think of like, who else is doing stuff? Who are you competing with at that time? Mm -hmm. Is it a Pilates class? Is it, you know, are you thinking of like the outdoors? Are people going outdoors and, you know, offering their themselves to the great outdoors and you're competing with that? So it's the positioning and the time of day. You also have to think of the the products that you're offering. And it's terrible to call a yoga class product, but that's just marketing terminology. But the product itself is your class. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's your offering. So what kind of value proposition does it have? What features does your class have? What is your particular authenticity and that sort of thing? How is it branded? I mean, these again are very tough words to associate with yoga, brand and price and product, these kinds of things. But uh, (laughs) it gives us a terminology to talk about it in terms of 
you know, people are paying you for this service, for this education. So you have to sort of get past the corporate words, but you know, what is your product? What is your brand? What makes you, you? Um, and a lot of times because you are an individual yoga teacher, it's going to come out a little bit more, you know, sort of about you as opposed to, you know, what does yoga do? But it is both, you know, what are the benefits of yoga in general, but what are the benefits of people working particularly with you? And then you also have your promotion. How are you promoting your work? So is it through social media? Is it through email? Is it through a postcard that you're leaving outside, you know, or, or in different businesses? Is it um, an announcement maybe after class to say, hey, I'm offering a new class? So the, how you're promoting it is a big part. And then price, you know, are you pricing your offering at a competitive rate? And of course, if you're working at a studio, they will already have that covered. But if you're working more independently, renting out space, you'll want to go with the going rate. And then, of course, if you're teaching private lessons, you'll want to go with the going rate. So listening to what others are charging and having a sense of that going rate is really important. Not going too high, not going too low either. Mm -hmm. So you spoke about positioning product, promotion, price, which for someone who has taken a teacher training, but has not really, you know, dived deep into the marketing side of things is so much to learn. You spoke about identifying what is the timing, which seems perfect for your class. Who are those groups of studios or other practices that you might be competing with? Because time is limited and people have to decide what are you offering? How are you branding your service? How are you communicating? And what channels are you leveraging? Social media, direct mail, postcards, are you sharing it verbally? And then obviously the price, because that makes such a huge difference. And I'm sure that you dive deeper about all these amazing topics into your book as well, right? Absolutely. Wonderful. Now, while many of our listeners want to become yoga teachers, many of them are currently pursuing a nine to five job with so many changes in the yoga industry, with the advent of technology, with so many people wanting to become yoga teachers. Let's talk about that one question that is on everyone's mind right now. Is it really possible to make a living as a yoga teacher? I think it absolutely is. I don't think it will be the most lucrative career that you could possibly do. That it would mm. be silly to, to, to say that, that you could become rich as a yoga teacher. Sure. But I think that if you're smart enough about the process and you hustle a little bit and you're very methodical about how you go about it, you can absolutely make a living you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit that yoga teachers don't consider necessarily. One of those things is private yoga lessons are the highest paid hourly rate for a yoga teacher. It's going to be more than if you taught a group class. It will be more than if you teach a series, all those things. The only thing possibly higher hourly than a private lesson would be teaching other teachers to teach yoga. So teacher training commands a higher hourly rate than privates. But if you have a, a nice private clientele and you're doing workshops on a monthly basis or bi-monthly basis, and you're also offering series such as how, you know, such as beginner series, or a series on lower back health and yoga, or a series on yoga for a certain sport like cycling, this kind of thing. If you have those all laid out for the year, you really can do well as a yoga teacher. And it's really up to you to decide, you know, how much do I really need and set some goals around that and then do a little bit of planning to see could, and even number crunching can 
can I make that much? You know, what would I have to do to make that much? And so it is absolutely possible. I did it for many, many years in New York um, before I moved out to Colorado and started to teach more internationally, which of course does, you know, that's, that's a whole other level. But I think for the most common yoga teacher who isn't at that level yet, you absolutely can. So there you go, Action Tribe. It's simple, but it's not easy. Have a plan. Make sure you know mm-hmm. why you want to teach. So that keeps motivating you. That will keep inspiring you. Always keep your ears open in terms of how others are doing things and how you want to do. So have that research mentality in your mind. And like Tony Robbins says, success leaves clues. Learn from someone who's been there and done that and do exactly what she has done and taught. The art and business of teaching yoga. So we're going to give you the exact link on how you can get access to that book and learn more about how you can not only become a yoga teacher, but also how you can stand out from the crowd and establish yourself as a yoga teacher. So Amy, let's go back in time now. How did you first decide to become a yoga teacher? Is there a story behind that? Well, actually, I didn't know for sure that I wanted to be a yoga teacher when I took my first training. But so when I asked my teacher if I could apply, I was thinking, well, I'll just use this as a, as a chance to go deeper into the practice. I thought it was the only way to, to really go deeper than I had been going with the 90 minute classes. Sure. And as a result, um, but, but actually I should say in the back of my mind, I had this deep longing to live that lifestyle of doing my practice and then teaching others to do the same. Wow. And yet I didn't feel like I was ready or worthy to do that at all. And so the the purpose of me joining the training really was just to go deeper in my practice and see where it led me. But I I, I just never thought I would actually do it. It's, I wanted to so badly, but I didn't think I could. And it was uh, my teacher, Cindy Lee, who believed in me. And she said on the very first night when I said, oh, I don't, just taking this to go deeper into my practice, she said, shut up, you're going to teach. <laughs> and so that was really how I became one. And I, I, you know, nine to five just wasn't for me. I knew it wasn't for me. I knew I wanted to be independent and have freedom. And that's really one of the great gifts of teaching yoga is that your schedule is yours. You're not subject to showing up at an office at a specific time, day after day after day. Sure. So I was pretty excited about that possibility when I graduated and it was rough for a little while there, as I said, but then it all shifted. So that's so inspiring, especially the fact that you mentioned that if you are a yoga teacher and if you figured everything out, you have a plan and you don't need to follow a nine to five plan. You can follow your own plan, do whatever you think is best for you. So based on what we've discussed today, if you had to tell one of your yoga teacher training students to go out and take action, what would that one action or one instruction be? I would say, and I I mentioned this before, but treat your teaching not as a hobby, but as a profession, because in doing so, you will be able to put your passion behind everything you do. And you'll also be able to take it so seriously that you'll elevate the profession for everybody else. What happens when people treat yoga as a hobby is it ends up undermining those who are taking it seriously as educators. Mm -hmm. And so being a hobbyist will not serve the whole of yoga in terms of having professional educators out there. So take it seriously on every level, ethically and otherwise. Action Tribe, to access the show notes for today's episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 140. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 140. 
Do your practice and all is coming. This is a quote by Shri Patabi Joyce. Action Tribe, when you step on the mat and begin your practice, you begin to make your energy flow. The energy within you that was stagnant, blocked or clogged begins to flow like a river whose floodgates have opened. Your practice helps your mind, body and soul unite and with that, you attract peace of mind, happiness and fulfillment. But sometimes, especially when you have a grand vision and you have a big goal in mind as we are learning today, you also attract to yourself major challenges or obstacles or roadblocks or failures because these are experiences needed for your evolution. Be prepared for an adventure of a lifetime because as Shri Joyce said, do your practice, all is coming. So Amy, talk to us about a time when you faced a major challenge. What was the situation like and then how did you finally overcome that challenge? Probably the most challenging thing I've ever gone through was when I went through a difficult divorce and I had a full teaching schedule ahead of me. And in the past, when I had breakups, I would take off time from my yoga. (laughs) I would Mm -hmm. take time off from teaching. And I realized at that time that it didn't serve me to stop everything to try to heal And so the way that I faced that challenge different from in the past with breakups is that I went full steam ahead and taught and I went into the classroom and as raw as I felt and as difficult as it was, I oddly felt more passionate and more real and authentic uh, coming to class anyway and pushing through that that fear that I would maybe fall apart in front of the students or or that I you know needed the time to myself and all of that and it was so empowering to actually come into class and continue to teach and I felt like I was at my best in fact as a teacher and when I would come home, sure, you know, then I would do my grieving and my crying and all those things that I needed to do for myself. But as soon as I walked into the classroom, I was strong and powerful again. And so as long as I took that time to take care of myself outside of class, I was absolutely fine. And so I would say to get through it was to just keep going, keep being of service because being of service makes you feel good about yourself. You feel less depressed when you're helping others. And so no matter what difficulty you're going through or if you're in depression, get out and help others. That was really the lesson for me. It was stay in it, stay in it. So that was really inspiring. In just one sentence, if you had to share one major life lesson from your story with our listeners, what would that be? I think a large, large lesson that I've received is the ability, and I think that this really comes from my yoga practice, is my ability to, in the face of loss or in the face of difficulty, is to feel that grief or that loss 100% while simultaneously being able to experience joy and laughter and happiness. So it being able to embrace the paradox that life is both challenging and difficult, but it's also full Mm -hmm. of joy and full of rapture and laughter and to be able to almost laugh and cry at the same time in one breath is really the biggest lesson I've learned through going through difficulty and having a yoga practice that gets me through it is to be able to embrace that paradox more fully in life. Wow, I think your story is so inspiring. So firstly, thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. I think a lot of our listeners are charged up and inspired because (laughs) of what you shared. There are a couple of really powerful and inspiring thoughts that you shared with us. So I'm going to restate the main points to ensure that we haven't missed out anything. You shared that the most challenging situation for you was going through a divorce in the midst 
midst of having a hectic and busy yoga schedule. But instead of taking a break, you went full steam ahead. You took even more action. You showed your vulnerability. You showed up. And in the process, you were able to exude your authenticity and give your very best. When you were on the mat, as you mentioned, you were powerful and strong. And that's why you reminded us today to be of service. Don't make this about you. Make it about the people you serve. And that's the theme that's constantly coming back again and again of service. So thanks a lot for sharing this amazingly profound thought. Action Tribe, as you take steps towards finding your true calling, as you learn more about yourself, as you take action and discover new things about the world, some things might make you happy and some things might make you sad. Always realize this one truth that you can't control the outside world, but what you can do is choose how you're going to react to it. True happiness is not external, but as they say, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is a life condition and when you find it a bit hard to find that internal happiness, remember the profound words of Tikna Han who said that mindfulness helps you go home to the present. And every time you go there and recognize a condition of happiness that you already have, happiness just comes. So Amy, what is your life's mission as on today? Well, my life's mission is to inspire people to experience their interconnection with all of life while reaching their potential in many dimensions, personal, professional, emotional, and spiritual. And through sharing my own writing and art and my movement practices, I'm here to help others become more conscious, awake, and alive so that they can live on the earth more fully and sustainably all while courageously having an adventurously good time. Wow. Now, as you look back at your life, was there ever a defining moment that really transformed your life? Take us back to that very moment. I would say so that I would go back to summer camp. <laughs> so going full circle. <laughs> when, when I was in summer camp, I was both the youngest camper ever the, at the year that I was there. And then when I was 12 years old, so that was five years later or six years later, I was the camper that had been there the longest, had been there the most years. And that camper always had the task of lighting the fire for July wow. 4th in front of <laughs> everybody. And so I was 12 years old and petrified to light this fire in front of everybody. I thought everyone's going to be looking at me and staring at me and that they're going to be thinking bad things about me. It was pretty terrible, <laughs> the mm. perception that I had. And yeah. as I took that torch to go and light the fire, I had this pivotal moment where I recognized that I had watched for six years prior, I had watched a girl go and light that fire every single year. And not once did I have a negative thought about her. I was excited for her. I was looking up to her. I was, you know, in awe of her achievement and, and all that. And I thought, if I had that thought about that girl, that must mean that everybody has that thought about that girl, that no one's thinking poorly of that girl. And so I stood up with pride and with confidence and went and lit that fire in front of everybody. And it was in that pivotal moment that I no longer was shy about offering what I had to give to the world and not timid about what I had to give to the world because the world, I recognize that the world needs people to give what they can give and to give the gifts that they have to offer. And it's not like someone sitting there wanting you to fail. People want you to succeed in general. And so when you remember that, wow, what a difference. And it's stuck with me for so many years in gaining the courage to 
do the things I really want to do and offer in the way that I want to offer. That's wonderful. I love that you mentioned that the world needs people to give. People mm. want you to succeed because there's a lot to go around and this is an abundant world. And with that, we have arrived at the last round for today's show, the wisdom round. Four questions, just like a rapid fire round. So are you ready? Sure. So what is the best advice that someone's ever given you? Oh, probably to stay neat and tidy and clean and to keep my environment beautiful. Name a personal habit that keeps you strong. I would say getting up in the morning and going out into nature immediately. So that beautifully ties into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, do you have a morning routine? I do. <laughs> So my morning ritual, it varies depending on what I'm doing and where I am. But if mm -hmm. I'm home for a long period of time, my greatest joy is to get up in the morning and meditate and visualize for my day, do a little bit of pranayama, and then immediately have a green juice and go hit the trail. So go right into nature and hit the trail for about 30 to 40 minutes, come back and then from there, make a green smoothie. <laughs> I don't know if that's the first two hours, but yeah. <laughs> so name a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today. Gosh, that's a good one. You know, there's a wonderful book that I've been reading. There's two actually. One is called Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle. The other is The Shallows, How the Internet is Shaping Our Brains by Nicholas Carr. And I've been inspired to read those two books because we've been running a course on 90 Monkeys called Teaching Yoga in the Digital Age. Mm. And those books have been really inspirational to me. Wonderful. So Action Tribe, to access today's show notes, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 140. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 140. So Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Before you go, tell us one thing that you are truly grateful for and also tell us the best way we can find you. Well, I'm truly grateful right now for my family and to reach me, you can and go to amyipoliti.com, A-M-Y-I-P-P-O-L-I-T-I.com and also at 90monkeys.com. So that's 90monkeys.com. That's where all of our online yoga courses for uh, yoga teachers are kept and uh, lots of inspirational blogs and so forth. And uh, I'm also on yogaglow.com, Y-O-G-A-G-L-O.com. You can take my classes online from your home. So the Yoga Action Tribe, in case you want to become a yoga teacher and learn how to do it full time or in case you want to take your practice to a completely new level because teaching is the best form of learning then you need to go to amyapoliti.com if you want to learn from the comfort of your home yogaglow.com if you learn want to learn more in general than 90monkeys.com we'll have all these three links up in the show notes so that if you forget any of these links just go to my7chakras.com forward slash 140 and you'll have all these links that you can access learn more and take action so amy thanks a lot for coming on our show talking to us about the art and business of teaching yoga and taking us one step closer to a human revolution thank you so much for having me aj wonderful to talk with you you are listening to my seven chakras go to my s-e-v-e-n chakras.com download your free gift get inspired and take action transform your life today Thank you.